0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Well, Ms. McMillan, it certainly is good to be back, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, for those who regularly like to tune into the program, we've been speaking... Sorry to note that we've been a little bit, uh, little bit missing in action, I guess would be the phrase. But it's for a good purpose. We're working hard to get some other things done that we hope uh, will, in the month or two to come, provide us with some uh, uh, really worthy guests. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty certain that is the case. And uh, I, guess, I guess it's now up to me to, uh, to make good on it. Pressure's on. All right. Well, when we take a break like this, we're always a bit scattered when we come back. I think that's just you know inevitable. It's kind of like uh, going a few weeks without exercising, or in Mr. McMillan's case, a few years. But yeah, when you're trying to get back in the groove, you know, you're you're a little bit uh, you're a little bit out of sorts, a little bit rusty. So. um I think one way to shake off the rust is to do something we like to do, which is to dig out some pithy sayings and memes and, and, and ease into the program that way. And you seldom go wrong if you start with a quote from Winston Churchill, which we will do. In this case, the former prime minister said, I'm always ready to learn, although I do not always like being taught. Understandable. And on a lighter note, one from Warren Buffett a legendary investor who said, any company that has an economist has one employee too many. And the times we live in, it's hard to avoid this quote from William Butler Yeats, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Boy, is that 2023 or what? On the other hand, let's recycle the, the quote we cited some weeks back from novelist Lauren Groff. Who noted that if we're sensitive to the world, if we're paying attention to how profoundly astonishing the world is, every second would make our hearts burst? And it is a marvelous world that we live in. Let's recycle Steve Jobs when he said, The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Balanced off by this from A.A. Milne People say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. And how about Edmund Burke? No one made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could do only a little. Since we're going intellectual, let's jump to Bertrand Russell, when he said, what is wanted is not the will to believe, but the wish to find out, which is the exact opposite. And finally, one that might be our thought for the day, a quote from George Orwell, who said, we have now sunk to a depth at which the restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. And of course, by that, he meant intelligent men and women. And we've collected a few memes that might, uh, might be worth uh, jumping into. <laughs> this one cracks me up. Here's the plot. 97% of the world's scientists conspire to create an imaginary environmental crisis only to be exposed by a plucky band of billionaires, senators, and oil companies. Yes, dear listener, I'm sure you too have had conversations with friends and family when they, who refer to how that they can't trust the news because of the liberal media. And of course, yes, it surely is the case that these large media corporations are working tirelessly to thwart their own best interests. Here's a meme from a month or two ago, we need to recycle. It said, in the 1980s, A&W tried to compete with McDonald's quarter pounder by selling a one-third pound burger at a lower cost. This product failed. That's because most customers thought the one over four pound was bigger than the one over three. To which the meme added, this is why I don't argue online. And to which I would tack on (laughs) the meme that says, Americans, we walked on the moon. Also, Americans with a picture showing the side of a pizza box with the statement printed, open box before eating pizza. And lastly, one that shows a woman and a man. The woman looks very set, determined, a little bit put off, and the words attached to her are, I will ignore him all day so he knows I am mad. The photo attached of the man Shows him behind the wheel of a car, grinning rather idiotically and saying, what a nice quiet day. We have so many things to catch up on. Um, War in the Middle East, which I think I'll have a little to say about later, but not that much. It's a very sad thing that's going on over in Gaza. And it's, and it's hard to find hope that there will be a, uh, a break in the endless cycle of violence taking place over there. But uh, more on that later. You know what I think we should do, Miss Allen? Something we did recently, which was jump into a um, a good, bad, and ugly fest. What do you say? Let's go. It was definitely a good week a few weeks back for traveling down the Mississippi River in a hollowed-out pumpkin. Yes, apparently Steve Cooney of Lebanon, Missouri, traveled 39 miles down the Missouri River in a hollowed-out pumpkin. This, this set a new record for travel by gourd. apparently. Mr. Cooney pronounced himself cold, tired, but pleased with the result after spending 11 hours kneeling inside the slimy interior of Huckleberry, a 1,208-pound pumpkin which he grew himself. To his credit, Cooney called himself just a guy with a pumpkin and a whimsical sense of adventure, out to have fun. To which we add, Sir, we at Radio Parallax salute you. Yes, and he probably should get together with the guy with the giant hamster ball who tried to cross the ocean. Good point. I'm not sure within our power to get those two together, but boy, but boy, that would be nice. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for advertising recently with the news that a trainee instructor at a Colorado driving school managed to crash through the school's front window while attempting to park. This left his Hyundai lodged beneath a sign reading, learn to drive. According to community driving school owner Steve Roman, the driver was a new employee on his second day. And it seems clear that there will not be a third day in this employee's future, because the owner pointed out that he had not yet started teaching students and was no longer employed at the school. And it was an ugly week recently for fans of that film, Sound of Freedom, with the news that Tim Ballard, whose undercover efforts to supposedly rescue sex trafficked children inspired the film, was sued this last week for sexually assaulting five women who joined him in sting operations. Ballard's operation, Underground Railroad, OUR, recruited mostly fellow Mormons to pose as his wife to help ensnare traffickers. The suit claims Ballard said the women needed to practice their, quote, physical chemistry, unquote, to make the ruse more believable which apparently in his mind involved tantric yoga, couples massages with escorts, and our favorite, lap dancing. Plus, and we mustn't leave this out, sharing a bed and shower with him. Ballard allegedly coerced them into sex acts, asking, is there anything you wouldn't do to save a child? Well, if you put it that way. But you know, this story actually keeps getting better. A psychic on OUR's payroll allegedly told the women they were Ballard's wives in past lives. Ballard evidently resigned from OUR last June and was sharply condemned by the Mormon church. He defended his approach in September saying, this may be the quote of the week, hundreds, maybe thousands of children have been rescued using this amazing tactic. And no, we're not sure which specific tactic he's referring to suppose it could have been the tantric yoga, but I, I'm going to go with the lap dancing. Yay. All right, moving right along. It was surely a good week uh, last week, I guess, for lowriders. Our governor here in California, Gavin Newsom, signed a law that allows the body of a vehicle to sit closer to the ground than the lowest part of its wheel rims. This law legalizes the operation of lowriders which, of course, as you well know, are the modified cars central to Hispanic cruising culture, which some California cities banned to give police a pretext for harassing the drivers. Well, there may have been other reasons as well. If the bottom of your car is below your wheel rim and you hit a pothole, well, I don't know. I, I can't tell you that, uh, that um, a person I was quite familiar with back in med school days, a fellow student of mine, had a ride which did actually make the cover of Lowrider Magazine. We had every intention of piling the car up with a bunch of medical students and cruising around Orange County just to see what would happen, but uh, alas, we we never got around to it. It was, on the other hand, last week a bad week for political planning, we would have to say, with the news that former President Donald Trump, who, as you no doubt know, lost to Joe Biden in 2020, assured his supporters in New Hampshire recently that his margin of victory in 2024 will be so huge that they needn't vote, said Trump. Don't worry about voting. We've got plenty of votes. And the part about this that terrifies me is that I wonder if he knows something that we don't. And finally, it was an ugly week uh, last week for, shall we say, dining al fresco in a politically correct era. Here's the story. A law group at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV, has apologized for inviting members to a picnic. Citing the words supposed historical and offensive connotations, and it's noted that picnic derives from the old French pique-nique, coupled with modern rumors that racist lynchings in the Deep South were called picnics, And even though that's been debunked, the UNLV Environmental Law Society apologized for, quote, any harm or discomfort, unquote, and renamed its event, quote, lunch by the lake, unquote. We are pretty sure that uh, the annual festivities at UC Davis will, we hope, not be renamed lunch by the lake day. All right. Want to do a third round, Mr. Millen? Yes. Good. For this one, then, we're going to require some theme music. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches feet, just like guys Look out. here comes the Spider-Man. Yes, we would have to note that it was a good week for Spider-Man, or Spider-Men, more correctly, after Brazilian researchers revealed that the venom of the deadly banana spider could be a treatment for erectile dysfunction. The reason being that apparently banana spider bite victims show up at hospitals in both the state of mortal danger and physical arousal. Now it turns out I have some familiarity with the treatment of erectile dysfunction from my work as a physician and this one's a surprise to me. I think I need to, uh, to dig into it a bit. And it was a bad week uh, a few weeks back for public libraries, at least in Alabama, with the news that uh, the authorities there flagged a children's book for removal because the author's last name is Gay. Evidently, Read Me a Story, Stella, by Marie Louise Gay, is about a brother and sister who read books together. It contains no sexual or LGBTQ content. The director of the library, Cindy Hewitt, concedes that Gay's book was pulled in error because her last name appeared on a list of sensitive keywords, but denied any ill intent. We wanted to be proactive, said Hewitt. And finally, it was an ugly week, we'd have to say, for the citizens of St. Louis, with the news that the St. Louis Board of Aldermen is considering, considering a bill that would let homeless people urinate and defecate on city streets without fear of arrest, the bill is sponsored by Alderwoman Alicia Sonier of Town Grove East, who says Saint Louis is short on public restrooms. An argument that Alderman Tom Oldenburg of Saint Louis Hills finds unpersuasive. He asked, "Does society have any rules anymore?" Well, we can't answer that a hypothetical question of uh, of Alderman Oldenburg, but we do wonder if he's visited San Francisco any time lately. Now, a couple of days ago, Mr. Merlin asked if I knew about uh, the new uh, Speaker of the House, and <laughs> I, I drew a blank and said, no, I had not followed the story. Well, the story is that the Republicans unanimously elected Mike Johnson as Speaker last week, ending more than three weeks of paralysis after Kevin McCarthy got voted out. While it is true that McCarthy had cut a deal with uh, the MAGA hat-wearing Republicans that pretty much uh, meant that a tiny number of them might remove him from office. The lost in the shuffle is the fact that Matt Gaetz, the lunatic congressman from Florida, was joined by a few other MAGA hat types, I think nine, and then got all the Democrats to vote with him to dump McCarthy. So yeah, M- McCarthy was no prize, but the guy they have now, Mike Johnson's worth taking a brief look at. After this coup d'etat by Matt Gaetz and, and a This clutch of uh, far-right lawmakers. Uh, Chaos reigned in the House. Steve Scalise of Louisiana and Jim Jordan of Ohio each failed to muster sufficient votes to become the Speaker, while Tom Emmer of Minnesota withdrew as nominee a week ago after Trump, Donald Trump, remember him, posted on Truth Social that Emmer was totally out of touch with Republican voters and a globalist rhino. While Trump said he would not officially endorse any speaker candidate, he added, my strong suggestion is to go with the leading candidate, Mike Johnson. Rachel Blade in Politico noted that Johnson wasn't anyone's first choice, far from it. Having served just seven years in Congress, he's the least experienced speaker in 140 years, and he hasn't sought the limelight. But that lack of outward ambition means he's made few enemies. Jonathan Shate writing in New York Magazine notes he was also the mastermind of the January 6th plot. Johnson worked busily to undermine certification of the electoral votes, even mailing every House Republican to drum up support for an attempt to invalidate the vote counts in four swing states that went to Biden. An amicus brief of his speciously tried to frame the pandemic-era expansion of mail and voting as legally suspect, and he got 126 of his colleagues to co-sign. Charlie Sykes, writing in the Bulwark, said Trump has paid Johnson back with the speakership. The former president shot down Emmer because unlike more than two-thirds of the House Republicans, Emmer voted against rejecting the 2020 election results. Trump annoyed Johnson because Johnson toiled tirelessly for that cause. The message here is pretty clear and chilling. Belief in the big lie and support of Trump's coup is the litmus test for leadership of the GOP. And in my left hand, I have an LA Times article from March of last year, asking are the feds ignoring Trump's allies' multi-state effort to access election systems? Noting the experts are raising alarms and those alarms do need to be raised. They were raised then, they still need to be raised. And boy, do we need to keep an eye on that which we try to do on this program. And uh, just to briefly comment about what's going on in Gaza, I I just want to note that Israel apparently reacted with fury last week after the UN Secretary General said that the Hamas massacre of Israelis had to be seen in the context of the suffering occupation of Palestinian land. Antonio Guterres said the act on October 7th did not happen in a vacuum. But the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attack by Hamas, and those appalling attacks cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Jilad Erdan, demanded that Guterres resign, saying the Secretary General had expressed an understanding for terrorism and murder. And the Israeli government said it would stop issuing visas for UN personnel to come to Israel. And what's going on in Gaza right now uh, seems to be under something of a press blackout. Photos are getting out in this modern era because they can't be contained. And the scenes that are emerging are, let's just say, well, they are horrific. To which we would add that uh, responding to horrific violence with even greater horrific violence is, is probably not going to help anything. And some people are also noting, and we, we would note they're noting, that... This so-called intelligence failure that took place, allowing Hamas to come sprawling across the Gaza border into Israel, just strikes some people as a little odd. article in The New Yorker by Ruth Margalit notes that Benjamin Netanyahu, in talking about what happened, did not, not mention that in the days leading up to the attack, three military battalions had been diverted away from the southern communities of Israel and sent into the occupied West Bank to guard Jewish settlers there. There's so much talk here about how, gee, the, it's amazing. Israel, with its fantastic ability to probe everything, everywhere, all the time, just somehow uh, missed this one. It was a tremendous intelligence failure. To which we would add, isn't it? Isn't it maybe ironic that this so-called intelligence failure that led both to 9-11 and, and the Iraq War, remember the weapons of mass destruction that uh, Saddam Hussein supposedly had? Well, geez, geez, that was... That was an intelligence failure, or perhaps something a lot more sinister, and that's, that's all I'm going to say. All right, well, we're huge fans of New Scientist magazine, which we rely upon on a weekly basis to uh, keep you informed. Great science magazine, um, but uh, left me puzzled in some of its recent editions um, with some of its headlines. Now, here's one that didn't quite make the cut for the good, the bad, and the ugly, although it, it certainly might have. The brief story is as follows. Under the headline, Hippos are bad at chewing food, we have the item stating a study of two common hippos, Hippopotamus amphibius. That's a case you were concerned about which species of hippo was involved. It's important. Yes, evidently, Hippopotamus amphibius's is eating shows that the animal's upper and lower incisors interlocked while they ate, which prevents their jaws from moving side to side. Although, as noted, this is inefficient for digestion, the large incisors may help the animals protect themselves. So there you have it. If anybody out there tries to tell you that hippos are good at chewing food, well, you you can correct them. Probably best not tell it to the hippo, though. And yes, after visiting Africa last year, I would, re- would remind you that the hippo is, I believe, well, actually, I'm not sure what's the hippo or the cape buffalo. Anyway, the two most dangerous animals in Africa are the hippo and cape buffalo, not lions and leopards and such, or for that matter, hyenas. And here's another headline that grabbed my attention. The headline is as follows, Site used by ancient humans was also a latrine for giant hyenas. In the article, it notes that hyena clans often defecate repeatedly in particular places called latrines, possibly to mark their territory. And evidently, fossil hyena latrines are also associated with hominid remains. Now, why, you might ask, would humans want to gravitate to to hyena latrines, and I I think, you know, anyone who's ever, you know, been exposed to a cat box would certainly pose that question, but the theory here is that uh, the hyenas and hominids both scavenged off leftovers of prey that had been killed by saber-toothed cats and abandoned, to which someone speculated it's likely the hominids visited the site during day while hyenas fed there at night, and by the way, I keep saying hominids, but the correct word these days is hominins, which is in no way associated with Jackie Gleason's homina, homina, homina. And you know, we should have used a quote from the great one who once noted that the first day on a diet is always the hardest because on the second day you're off the diet. Now we certainly don't profess to any expertise on quantum physics on this program, but I think we noted some years back that there are some that had speculated once that antimatter might respond differently than matter and how it acts in a gravitational field. Well, apparently the verdict is in on that one in case you've been losing sleep over it, and it seems that antimatter definitely doesn't fall up, according to physicists who studied the matter, to which I would have to add, well, I I wasn't worried at all. How about you, Mr. McMillan? Not too much. Something else I never really lost a lot of sleep over is, is how it is the Earth's core may be oddly squishy, Well, that one I am concerned about. Well, you may want to look up the article from new scientist whose title is Earth's Core is Oddly Squishy, and We May Now Know Why. And actually, I hope you will read that article because I have no intention of doing so. And on a more serious scientific note, we would uh, quote The Economist magazine, which went out of its way last month to point out that the greatest benefit conferred on humankind that being vaccines, has generally been ignored by those who award the Nobel Prize for Medicine. To quote from the article in the magazine, the Nobel Prize for Medicine awarded in October 2nd to Caitlin Carrico, a biochemist, and Drew Weissman, an immunologist, is a fitting capstone to a great underdog story. Dr. Carrico's unfashionable insistence on trying to get RNA into cells set back her career. She persisted and the two developed a technique which allowed the immune system to be primed against threats in an entirely new way. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the mRNA vaccines they had made possible saved saved millions of lives and freed billions more to live normally again. They went on to note then that this prize is unusual. The only previous scientist to have won a Nobel Prize in the context of vaccination was Max Thieler, who discovered the attenuated strains of the yellow fever virus, which has been used as a vaccine since the 1930s. Neither Jonas Salk nor Albert Sabin, who invented the uh, injectable and oral forms of the uh, polio vaccine, respectively, got rewarded for their developments. And the eradication of smallpox went uncelebrated also. Although we would add in the case of smallpox, it was a lot more than mere vaccinations that, that did the trick there. But I was sort of struck by the fact that the economist pointed out that the World Health Organization says that vaccines have saved more from death than any other medical invention. And that's hard to deny. Vaccines protect people from disease cheaply, reliably, and in remarkable numbers. And their capacity to do so continues to grow. In 2021, the WHO approved a first vaccine against malaria, and this last week it approved a second. Of course, in conjunction with this, I I would note that um, it has been claimed, and it's, it's a pretty credible claim, that possibly the greatest blow against disease, diseases of mankind, was not in fact delivered by doctors, but by plumbers. When you take a look at the number of lives that have been saved by good, clean water that was not contaminated with disease, which was then passed along to others, you'd have to say, well, you know, could be. Could be. We made reference a year or two ago to a book I'd obtained about how plumbers save civilization, and I'm sorry to say that uh, we've not gotten around to talking about that. And a good friend of ours who is a plumber um, probably should come on the show and discuss this with us. We'll, we'll see how that goes. There's one vaccination we do need, though. Okay, what, what are you thinking? That would be a vaccination against Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Hmm, you know, uh, I don't have the thing to say against that. Yeah, Bobby Kennedy Jr., yeah, we've we've been unkind to uh, RFK uh, of late, Uh, but then again, he richly deserves everything we've said about him. The current buzz is that if he runs, he might take more votes away from Trump than from Biden, assuming, God forbid, a Trump-Biden matchup in 2024. And it's certainly true that his anti-government, anti-science, anti-establishment beliefs do appeal to more Republicans than Democrats. But boy, if he decides to run as a third-party candidate, which evidently he has done, a lot of folks point out that, well, A, he has zero chance of succeeding in winning the election, but B, might take away enough votes from Biden in key states to throw the election to, again, God forbid, Donald Trump. The New York Times noted that in 2016, uh, the Green Party's Jill Stein pulled much needed votes from Hillary Clinton in three swing states, which we think is undoubtedly true, but I don't think that Jill Stein was a spoiler in that election. I'm, I'm going to take a look at that, though. We do think that in 2000, Ralph Nader drew enough votes not only in Florida, but New Hampshire to swing the presidency to George W. Bush. I think we quoted the numbers before, but I think I'll do it again. Nader got 20,000 votes in New Hampshire. Bush beat Gore by 6,000. If Al Gore had taken New Hampshire, it wouldn't matter what Jeb Bush did down in Florida, Gore would have been president. Just saying. We need a break. Badly, I think. Let's take one. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got lots more, so please stick around.